On this episode of Aka Education, Justin speaks with Evan Feist and Dr. Mark Silverberg about improvisation in your classroom. From creating music organically to improvisational games, Evan and Mark provide a variety of ways to incorporate improvisation into your classroom. Let's get ready. It's time for some Aka Education. It's the Aka Education Hey everybody, welcome to the Aka Education Podcast. This is episode five. We're talking about improvisation. I have Evan Feist here and Dr. Mark Silverberg. Evan has been writing and teaching and performing vocal music for over 15 years. He's vocal coach for NBC's The Voice, America's Got Talent. He's studied with Bobby McFerrin and his voice drum. In 2015, the New York Music Theater Festival awarded him Best Arrangements in Orchestration and Best Musical Direction for Acapella the Musical, which I've seen videos of, oh man. Great stuff. Uh, Evan has run the audio production company Stacks of Wax, spontaneous songwriting and vocal improv courses through the Creative Vocal Lab, which Mark is also a part of. He'll be talking about that today. And he was the content director for the world's first all vocal channel, Flow Voice, a channel that is on the Flow Sports Network. Currently, you can find Evan behind a mixing console running live sound for various acapella groups in a classroom teaching the acapella pros of tomorrow and producing content and digital media strategies for bands and music festivals. And Dr. Mark, uh, Dacapella, if you will, uh, Mark is a vocal director and a music teacher at Five Towns College down on Long Island, on the Long Island, New York. Um, and he's also director of education for acapella masterclass and what I love about this thing, he's also currently developing an online school for acapella that will be released this fall. Gentlemen, welcome to the Aka Education Podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Happy now, to be anywhere. I, now, I, I've met you two previously. You know, you were both in uh, the group Satellite Lane. Um, I've seen Mark and Evan both do um, workshops with Creative Vocal Lab, and um, their use of improvisation is like second to none. They are phenomenal at what they do. Could you guys uh, just uh, tell me and tell the listeners how, do, how you teach improv um, when you don't like speak the same language as your students? How do you teach improv in general? Like, how do you go about it? Evan, you want to start? Sure. Um, teaching improv specifically when you don't you know, speak the same language as your students is very interesting. Uh, it's something that I've done a little bit when studying with Bobby and the Voicestra at the Omega Institute. Uh, they have a almost like a improv, uh, acapella improv camp every, I think it's the last week of August. And a lot of people come in from all over the world and we have a bunch of different hand signals. Like you may know that if you put your fist in the air, it means it's the last time before you're going to the end. There are some certain hand signals that we've developed that I uh, worked with someone else from the um, Creative Vocal Lab, a guy named Andrew Fox, who, who brought me to Armenia, where we taught improv for a couple of weeks. And most people did not speak English at all. So we're using predominantly hand signals to be able to get our points across. Uh, Mark, do you want to step in and talk a little bit about how we teach improv? Well, the beauty of improv is that you don't need to speak any language. You know, when we lead a circle song, we're not explaining motor interlock contrast uh, until the circle song is um, fully developed. I mean, we are just, honestly, we start singing and I point to my mouth and then I point to them and that's it. They know, okay, repeat after me. And then um, as we divide the circle, when we're developing the motor interlock contrast, we sort of use these hand signals of, okay, you group of people follow what I'm doing, you know, that kind of thing. So you're actually not speaking any language, you're just singing and it's not even, uh, it's not even words, it's just syllables, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's whatever I come up with, whatever stupid word I come up with, um, they just have to sort of copy, really. And, and I like I like that you say really there's no language involved because especially for someone say that you know we have a listener out there who teaches elementary music, and you know you have students with limited vocabulary to begin with you know focusing on nonsense syllables or silly syllables is is really beneficial to them I would think. 
Um, well, that's the beauty of the rotes, you know, that's the beauty of the circle song. Elementary music uh, is by rote. It's mm -hmm. not, you're not sitting there reading music. So it really is all copy and paste kind of thing. And that's literally what the circle song is. So you don't need to know this is do to me. Um, uh, you know, you just, you just sing, sing what I sing, really. Right. Um, now, in, as terms of improvisation, you know, building musicianship is something that's, you know, obviously extremely important for the emerging musician, um, regardless of whether it's in general music um, or if it's in uh, chorus or even in band. Um, so how can it be utilized to help build musicianship, but also, you know, strengthen vocal ensembles in general? Uh, Mark, you want to start? Improvisation builds, it builds a few things. It builds oral skills. Um, it builds self-esteem, really. It builds uh, camaraderie. You know, uh, what I do uh, when I lead my acapella ensemble for credit, the very first day, the very first thing, I don't say anything, we just do a circle song. And it gets them singing right away and it gets them enjoying it right away. And so they buy into what we're doing. You know, it's a wonderful icebreaker. But, uh, and I was doing this sort of, uh, when I was studying um, grad school at Westminster Choir College, I was starting to develop sort of how do I teach, you know, basic skills, do to me, do to re, how do I teach the, you know, Ionian scale, Dorian scale through these circle songs. And it actually kind of came to me um, when I was teaching with Andrew Fox, as Evan mentioned, uh, we were teaching at American Music and Dramatic Academy and he was, uh, he asked me, can you teach them like the Dorian scale? So I wrote circle songs in the Dorian mode mm -hmm. and, you know, things that would highlight very specifically these kind of intervals. Now that's not really improvisation, um, but it, it uses sort of the same uh, games as improvisation. So once they start hearing the uh, intervals over and over again, then they can start improvising those uh, things over and over again. Improvisation to me, it's a skill. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, there are things that you need to learn. There are basic uh, building blocks, but once you have those building blocks, that's when you leave everything else behind. And that's when you just sort of sing. Um, so I'm a little more structured in that way. Evan's a little more free form, I think. Um, yeah, I was just about to say that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I completely agree with everything that you're saying. And Except. <laughs> I, no, and, and that, like you said, you know, you have these building blocks and then you can put them aside. I feel like it's similar to when I'm teaching uh, a solo singer and I'm saying, you know, we're talking about the technique and, you know, talking about your lower abs and talking about breathing and talking about vowels and talking about posture. And we do all of this stuff and talk about the intentions of the lyric and the arc of the story. And we talk about all this stuff so you can put it aside and sing the song. And I feel like a lot of this, uh, Mark, what you're talking about is 100% accurate. And then it's about putting it aside and letting your intuition take over and intuiting how this mode feels different than that mode and really getting in your body and seeing how it is. And I think that's something that's really interesting that it also plays into is the idea of playfulness and being able to play and not being right. Something that we say at the beginning of every creative vocal lab is that there is no such thing as singing something wrong. As long as it's on purpose, it's completely right. It may not be within the scale, may not be within the rhythm, but as long as you're doing it on purpose, it's what you're trying to say, it can't be wrong. And we're, I feel like one of the biggest issues that I have within teaching specifically Creative Vocal Lab at acapella festivals with high school and college kids is they're in this kind of reverse uncanny valley where uh, younger at elementary school, getting kids to play and make things up is super easy and really intuitive. And with adults or, or you know, more professional musicians, improvising is a totally normalized thing. But in high school and college, making something up and not knowing what's expected of you and not knowing what to do and the idea of being wrong and being laughed at is such a, such a threat, uh, which I think is why it's such a great thing that this is where we're teaching the Creative Vocal Lab, trying to normalize the idea of play in this community. Well, not only normalize the idea of play, but normalize the idea of um, everybody has a musical intuition. We just need to bring it out, that kind of thing. You know, we have to make them feel comfortable uh, with that intuition, in, in my yeah. opinion. Anyway. 
it's been said many times and we'll say it again. And it's, I love the idea that improv proves that everybody's voice is valid. Right. You know, and I love that you bring up the, the difference between, you know, the elementary students versus us as adults. And then that middle school, high school range, you know, me as a middle school music teacher, I see it every day. There's, there's um, a lack of confidence and it's not just like with singing, it's just in general, like children are afraid to be wrong. Students are afraid to be wrong because there's this idea of per perfection almost all the time. And um, if they do it wrong, what's going to happen. And um, I remember attending Mark's, um, improv uh, workshop at NISMA a couple of years ago. And um, I, I was floored by how um, some students, like even college level students were just like diving right in and there was not a care in the world. And um, I really love that improv uh, can do that. And I'm hoping that, you know, middle school and high school students understand that when it comes to improv, there is no wrong way to do it just as long as you're enjoying yourself and having fun. Yeah, this is one of the this is one of the reasons Creative Vocal Lab started. Is uh, I was at Teachers College in grad school, and I was you know I had an independent study class and was working. Asked like, hey, what do you want to work on in education? What do you want your um, concentration to be? And for a while, I was taking linguistic classes and trying to quantify vocal percussion in terms of linguistics, and it was a little over my head. And <laughs> um, and so I, I thought of it, thought of this idea about. Um, non-repertoire based ensemble music classes because I feel like every time I've been in uh, a choir or an orchestra or a band as a student my job has been to listen to the conductor and the idea that like you know we're pretty much the piano keys under the conductor's fingers right. that we're being told what to do and how to interpret it and you know there's so much to be learned from these classes and I'm not knocking ensemble music classes at all but with repertoire-based music ensembles, most of the class, most of the classes I've been in have been mostly um, rehearsal. Mm -hmm. And you're rehearsing, for, you're rehearsing the music for the concert. You're definitely learning things within that rehearsal, definitely skills um, and all these different great educational traits. But I feel that the creativity was lacking for me. And so the idea of having a class that you can have 80, 90 kids in a class and still allow everyone to be creative and everyone to make up their own thing was something I was really interested in. Um, before uh, Creative Vocal Lab got to where it was, as you've seen it, um, which is, you know, usually we teach the motor interlocking contrast, which we'll talk about later, and then go into a bunch of different improv games based on that. We had a class that uh, Mark and I pioneered with Andrew Fox at SUNY Purchase at their summer program. And it was a similar kind of class in that we did teach motor interlocking contrast, but the defining feature is we had these things called labs, where twice a day we'd break up the class of something like 30 kids into groups of like four or five and give them like a reality style um, task. Like, all right, you have to go and here is the song, you know, pick a song and arrange it uh, in three parts using contrary motion and, you know, an oblique harmony or whatever like the lesson of the day was. And so we, were we would teach about a certain kind of harmony, a certain kind of rhythm, whatever it is, and then send them into groups and say, all right, now either write or arrange a piece based on this. And they're immediately applying this work as well as being able to be creative and have ownership over it. And what was great is, uh, Besides that, whenever we filmed the concert, we didn't have to worry about rights at all, which is really nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we did a concert that was completely improvised. You know, that was the end of the two After weeks. five days of class. <laughs> well, wasn't it two weeks? 10 days of class. 10, yeah, ish. Several yeah. days, yes. Several days, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, just to piggyback off, um, off that uh, Creative Vocal Lab, it's basically we were developing all the different ways that we could apply motor interlock contrast. Cause these are the three basic building blocks of music essentially. Mm -hmm. And um, over the 10 days, we were thinking of different ways that we can start building upon them. Like uh, at first everyone was doing two bar phrases and things like that. And then we asked them to expand to um, a, a prime, a B form and things like that. Uh, and then we even got into um, verse chorus kind of stuff with lyrics. What I tend to do with younger kids, I actually do this sort of workshop uh, at something called Peak Festival. It's, um, 
in on Long Island, it's uh, basically a one-day festival for fourth graders. Mm. Uh, and they, you know, they sign up for it and, and they get to take certain classes. So I actually co-teach this with a friend of mine, Christine Benedetti. Um, and I start the class by looping, but I'm not looping seriously. I'm looping with like ridiculous, like, let me make the sound of a squirrel fighting a chicken. Like, mm. I just make the dumbest things possible. So that when they come up and then they start adding their own sounds to the loops, nothing could be as dumb as what I just did. <laughs> so it just, it makes them feel uh, more comfortable. You know, right. you, you can't, you, it can't be the worst thing ever because I literally just did the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. So I try to use that as uh, a way to make them feel more comfortable. And, you know, that's something that teachers can use if they're comfortable with that, which they really need to be, uh, being an idiot, just being a goofball right in front of, you know. We're well-practiced. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm right there. I know exactly what that means. Yeah. Um, now, uh, both of you have talked about this concept of motor interlock and contrast, uh, this, this method. Uh, could you go a little bit more in depth as to what that is uh, for the listeners so that they might be able to actually apply that into their own classroom settings? Yeah, I'm going to make Evan do it because he does it at right. every, every, every yeah. festival. <laughs> he, does, he does all the talking and I just kind of sit there and say. Make the squirrel noises. That yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got three basic building blocks that this whole method of improvisation is based on. I'm not sure if this is where it came from, but where I learned it, and I'm pretty sure Mark learned it from the same place from Bobby McFerrin and his voiceistra at this Omega program. Which I took in, um, um, I was there in 2005, I think. And Evan, mm-hmm. when, when was the first time you did Omega? 2012, 2013, 2014. Okay, so I don't know what time it is. I'm a lot older. That's right. Go ahead, anyway. Uh, um, so the motor is a two to four bar repeatable phrase that shows the rhythm and leaves space. It's gotta be repeatable. And it's pretty much like the lick or the riff. Mm-hmm. And again, it leaves space. And it just goes on forever. Right. That was a very short one. You know, uh, as Mark said, as we go along, they become two bars, four bars, they become an A, A prime, A, B, a sequenced melody. Mm-hmm. But in its basic form, two to four bar, repeatable passage that leaves space for everything else. The interlock, it's hard to do this without hand signals, because uh, this, this is an audio podcast. <laughs> um, the interlock will zig where the motor zags. The, motor is, uh, the interlock is similar to the motor in that it needs to be its own uh, melody, but the motor usually starts on a downbeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the interlock will start on an upbeat, filling in the space that the motor left. So if we got do, but da do do do, ba do do do, ba da do do, da 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 ba ba da do, ba ba da 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 do. So it's going to fill in those gaps. It's going to come in specifically on that upbeat right after the motor comes in. And together, they come. They make this like polyrhythmic um, song, pretty mm. much. And then the last part is the contrast, which, believe it or not, will contrast the motor and the interlock. The motor and the interlock are usually short, rhythmic, punchy, um, percussive. Mm-hmm. And the, so you might call the contrast like a pad. Usually it's held long notes. And in slightly more advanced circles, we add another rule, which is the uh, contrast cannot start on do, mi, or sol one three five of the scale and the reason is because usually those notes are already covered in the motor in the interlocks we want a little bit of color something a little bit different to kind of really show us what world we're in and one of the biggest things that we try to impart is not to think about your part before you start singing Mm -hmm. because the interlock the contrast has to be based on the interlock and the interlock has to be based on the motor they have to exist in the same world so to give a, a quick example, it's hard because I can't do them at the same time. I mean, we could try, when, you know. I mean, we're not going to be in sync, and I definitely can't do more than one part at a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Be, so I'd uh, say the motor would be like a do, but da do do do, but do do do, but da do do do, ba ba da 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 da, da 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 da, was your interlock, 
and ooh, some sort of long ooh or ah type pattern, again, starting on some sort of color, mm -hmm. right? There's a bunch of creative vocal lab stuff online, but maybe the best thing is to send um, maybe some of some like vocabularies or one of Bobby's. Bobby has an album, Bobby McFerrin has an album called Circle Songs, where they don't layer in mm -hmm. motor interlock contrast, but by listening to it, you can pick out the different pieces. Right. I bet we have some student work online somewhere that we can uh, send it. So we have, Creative Vocal Lab has a Facebook page. Okay. Um, you just go to, on Facebook, just list, um, search for Creative Vocal Lab. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's also, there actually is a book, not written by us, mm -hmm. um, by one of Bobby McFerrin's close allies, Roger Treese, mm -hmm. uh, called Circle Songs. And he outlines um, the motor interlock contrast, and he also mm -hmm. provides examples, and he actually uh, provides a couple of scores. So Another great book to link to is by another one of the uh, voice interest singers, a woman named Rhiannon, a book called Vocal River which is half biographical, half nuts and bolts music about this. And what's really interesting is the book comes with a deck of cards right. with different improv games on them, oh, wow. all based on motor interlocking contrast. It's, it's also got a sprinkling of philosophy. She's more ethereal. Uh, as, does, as does a lot of our improv work. Or as, or as I like to call it, hippy-dippy. Mm. You know, nonsense. That's, <laughs> gotcha. I'm, more, I'm more of the practical structural music and um and i'm the hippy dippy and you know <laughs> i think that's oh, why you two work so well together is because yeah. you know it, it it really works we're exact op opposites attract uh and i think we we fill in the gaps the other person doesn't have you know? we also went to the same high school years apart we actually did oh wow we so we through come the, through the same choral program right it's great was uh, was choral. that down on long island as well it, or it was uh plainview Ah, and, uh, you know, same choral director. Which also, and... which also, going back to like 2005, had like six or seven high school student-run, student-arranged, student, student, student uh, acapella groups. That's amazing. I think they're at like 12 now. That's, wow. Probably, yeah. It has to be. I mean, there's so, like, you can't turn around without being an They're Like, acapella groups are like Starbucks now. They're just everywhere. <laughs> One of my favorites uh, from when I was in high school, there was a group, like called, Bac a group called Bacapella that perform Bach chorales on kazoos. Oh, wow, that's phenomenal. I knew you were gonna say something about Bach, but uh, wow, on kazoos, that, that's even more fascinating. Um, okay, so you've talked- Very contentious. To, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, you've talked about the motor interlock contrast. Um, you know, you've talked about looping, loop-based. Uh, can you give a little bit more ideas as, as far as um, what are some other games that could possibly be played um, utilizing either that concept or other improvisational concepts that you have taught. Do you want me to take this, I guess? Sure, that'd be great, Mark. Okay, uh, well, once we teach the motor interlock contrast, uh, we actually introduce an exercise we call drill lines, where the goal is everybody lines up into three vertical lines. Again, I'm using my hands, not realizing that nobody can see this. Uh, three vertical lines, one line gives the motor, one line gives the interlock, one line gives the contrast. Once all three are developed, song is over, takes 20 seconds, and then they move to the back of a different line, and we just do the whole thing over again. It's basically just an exercise on developing, just getting used to motor interlock contrast in that order. Hmm. Once the, and we obviously, we don't spend a lot of time on the drill lines because that's really boring for everyone. So we then introduce a game called Instaband. Instaband is where um, I think we start with four people uh, and one provides oh, five people. Um, one provides the motor, one provides the interlock, one provides the contrast. The fourth person provides some kind of percussion. Doesn't have to be vocal percussion, could be body percussion. And then the fifth person solos. Um, Which can mean anything from you can use words, you can use syllables whatever it means to you. Mm -hmm. Right, just free form, just go nuts, right over it. And then the fifth person is responsible for shutting it all down, ending it you know, musically. And um, there are many different ways you can expand on Instaband. I think one time we did, uh, what was it, seven or eight people where- We've done nine, where it's motor, motor harmony, interlock, interlock harmony. Meaning it's always a motor that someone harmonizes the same rhythm with different notes. Mm -hmm. Motor, motor harmony, interlock, interlock harmony. 
contrast, contrast harmony, some kind of percussion solo. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. So there's all sorts of things you can do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we teach, we actually teach sort of improv for arranging kind mm-hmm. of class. And we make sure to point out that this is exactly the building blocks of an acapella arrangement. Whereas the motor, motor is typically the baseline. The interlock is typically the guitar parts mm-hmm. and the pads are the pads. The contrast is the pads. Right. So really we're just building acapella arrangements. I mean, these are yeah. all the building blocks of it anyway. So we do Instaband. Uh, we do that a couple of times. Then we go into, I think, I think it's both of our favorite games, a game called Turn. Turn. Turn, yeah. Turn. Do you want to explain? To, you're better at explaining sure. Turn. Sure. <laughs> so, right at, so, yeah. So, Turn is a great game. Um, so, it takes five, it. People, <laughs> five people facing away from the audience. And one by one, um, they must turn with a uh, motor, an interlock, contrast, harmony, a percussion part, anything they want as long as it repeats. And you're turned around, you just flip around, face the audience, and start singing. And people are then will turn and join you with a harmony, motor, interlock, whatever. And the idea is that at any point, you may turn around and join the song. Mm. At any point, you may turn around and bail. So the, 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 the parts, are, it's almost like you have like a, a, a looping session, and you're turning parts on and off. And so, so the song is constantly being recontextualized. If you had one motor staying the whole time and the interlocks and contrasts are changing, you're then recontextualizing the mode, the rhythm, the time signature, all these kinds of things. It's a great game. I believe it was formed by a guy named Case Cool, K-E-E-S-K-O-O-L. But I could be getting that completely wrong. Oh, I didn't even know um, that. That's... Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is um, one of the things that this is the first one of the first points of hippy dippiness that comes into this class, that with this game, one thing I always say is the second you open your mouth, the song is no longer yours. It belongs to the group. So it's not about how well you can beatbox, how high you can sing, how low you can sing, how cool of a part you can make. It's about listening to the song, figuring out what the song needs and giving it that. What's that percussion part that's missing that'll glue it all together? And the idea of like group think as opposed to just like, look at me and look at me. Right, and it's very important that he says that because typically when we forget to say that, everyone's turning around and trying to be the star of the song and showing off their biggest skill. And it's like, but that's it's not what the song needs. That's right. you, you know, showing off, which just... And it can go on forever. Oh, it definitely can go on forever. It can go on forever. So one of the things that's really interesting, and we've seen it happen at festivals a couple of times, is when people are really paying attention, without signaling, everyone turns around at the same time, and all of a sudden it ends all at the same time without cueing anything. Which yeah. I think is proof that, you know, if you do pay attention, you can pick up on these subtle signals. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so we play turn. Uh, we play turn a couple of times. Now, and that's kind of where it splits off between whether we're, where we're doing an arranging-based class or a songwriting-based class. So what we've done to expand that, to show them how to use these games and arrangements, is that with Instaband, for example, um, one person figures out the motor, one person improvises an interlock, contrast, and then the person on the end, instead of soloing, has to find an existing pop melody and fit it over what they just created. So they're, you're, you don't know what they're going to create. So you're essentially rearranging the song spontaneously. Right. It's like a backwards is, arrangement. As opposed to starting with the melody, then going to the bass line and filling out the chords, you make the arrangement, you make the background track, and then figure out what melody can fit over the top. Right. And it really comes out with some interesting stuff. Uh, I've done this enough times where... Uh, sometimes not Evan wasn't there sometimes he was where I would come up with a melody and uh, the crowd would go no we don't like this and then I had to come up with something else Um, and yeah it's fine (laughs) they're really interesting covers and I feel like you know there was especially at the time we started doing this it was a time where I feel like there were a lot of transcriptive arrangements arrangements where 
you know, it was an acapella cover made to sound as close to the original as possible, right. which is a cool thing and not specifically what we're going for, but a cool thing. And the idea of doing this makes something that you probably could not have thought of otherwise. Well, in, in the festivals that we present at, they're not, you know, they're showing uh, high school groups who are not on the cutting edge. They're doing the transcriptive arrangements still. So we're just trying to sort of break them out of that box. Mm-hmm. You know, we're playing to that audience of, okay, you probably, the only really cool stuff you know is probably pentatonics. You probably don't know all this other really interesting Cara award-winning stuff. Right. You just know the transcriptive stuff. So that's why we're trying to break it out of there. And that's typically who is in those classes. You know, and I, I find it fascinating that you say it because, um, you know, me personally, you know, when I have to arrange from my middle school group, um, most of it leans towards the transcriptive side just because it's familiarity. And, um, and I think it goes back to that not wanting to be wrong thing that we talked about earlier um, with a lot of these students so that when they get that transcriptive arrangement, it's like, oh, I can tie this to what I hear in the instrumental version, as opposed to let me totally give this something different, like make it a different color. You just make it beautiful, you know? And um, to me, those types of arrangements, not the transcriptive ones, but these ones that happen almost organically, um, I guess you could say, um, they're more appealing to the ear because now you're really listening to what's going on as opposed to, oh, well, this is like your typical, you know, one, four, five, six, you know, what your four chord song. Now we have a lot of different things happening and um, we have, uh, we really have to be keen on not just the melody, but what is making this so beautiful. So I love that you're talking about that. Evan, go ahead. Yeah. And I love the fact that you called it organic because that's exactly what we call it is we call it organic arranging. Mm. And one of the things that I love about it is that, and like, again, not knocking the transcriptive arrangements. I think that it's a completely legitimate way to arrange. And a lot of people, it's where they start and they can branch off from that. A lot of people love the idea of sounding like the record and that's super cool. Um, What I think is interesting with the organic arranging is that each singer is coming up with their own part. And so it's, it's uniquely fit to their voice, mm-hmm. which I think is something that, you know, in a professional group, like, like you said, Mark and I were in Satellite Lane along with Christine Benedetti. Um, and when Mark writes those arrangements, whoever writes those arrangements, they are tailored to the specific people in the group because it's a professional group and, you know, the voices are known and you know they're being written for that. Usually in a scholastic setting, whether middle school, high school, or college, I feel like it's very rare the arrangements take the singers specifically into account when the arrangement is being made. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting about this is that uh, students at the level that they're at are getting a chance to sing arrangements tailored specifically to them because they wrote it. Right. Uh, one thing that I actually love about transcriptive arrangements um, is that I've used them as a listening tool as well especially in elementary and middle school, if you say play a song, right? Or play a video, a perfect example. I use this example when I teach elementary education at Five Towns. Uh, It was uh, Mike Tompkins did a video with the Muppets, Mm -hmm. right? And it was very, very clear, very transcriptive, nothing against Mike Tompkins, very transcriptive arrangement. Um, The parts were, you know, very lined up with the original but it challenges students. Okay. Now copy what you're hearing. Okay. Can you figure out the solfege for that? Mm. So it actually lets them sort of listen with intent, right? You know, which is one of the most important things about teaching music is that instead of passive listening, you're actively listening. Right. So I've used transcriptive arrangements to sort of kickstart that. And Mm. that's been really valuable. So that's one of the, reasons why I still like transcriptive arrangements in that sense, you know. Mm-hmm. They're also great for a beginning group to get something up on its feet easy and like have an early win. Right, Right. exactly. Um, now, both of you, you know, are, are arrangers as well. And um, I know that, uh, Mark, I believe you just, uh, you just won a CARA award for one of your arrangements, correct? 
No. Or you, you were nominated for one, I believe. One of your I was, parody songs. I, I nominated. I very good songs. at being nominated. I get nominated <laughs> a lot, and <laughs> I've lost every single one of them. Yeah, uh, I've gotten nominated for Best Humor Song a few times. Mm-hmm. The last time, it wasn't this past year, but the year before, I was nominated for Best Original mm-hmm. um, uh, for the ICCA song, I think it was. Yeah. And I also... Just fun fact, I took second place as best solo performer, which means absolutely nothing, but still, <laughs> you know, that's my accomplishment. Well, what I was going to ask both you um, and Evan, because Evan, I know that um, you had a, a series uh, in New York City, uh, Broadway Goes Acapella, where you were basically working yeah, Mark on Mark was very therapy. much involved as well. Um, yep. did, were those arrangements more on the transcriptive side or did they kind of come organically? Because I know that you're, you're working with previous material, but did you find that it, uh, it came more organic or you had to try and stay strictly transcriptive? That's a very good question. And I love those projects so much. We got a whole bunch of acapella and Broadway people together and did a bunch of theater tunes at uh, the first couple were at 54 Below and then the last one was at the Green Room in New York. And I would say it's a little bit of both because sometimes, I'm trying to figure out the best way to phrase it because a lot of it is, you know, how can we reinvent this song? And there's definitely a lot of reinvented uh, arrangements. Some of them are transcriptive in that, A, I think it's what the audience really likes is the novelty, which I think is, you know, harkens back to the acapella of the 90s, the novelty of hearing a song they know being performed by voices. Um, I think we try to twist it up, even if it is transcriptive, we try to twist it up a little bit, honestly, to keep ourselves interested, Mm -hmm. because the majority of the people who are singing in these concerts are acapella professionals, people that do do some sort of singing pretty much all day, every day. We want to keep it interesting for them. Um, A lot, in the beginning, a lot of them were arranged specifically for the show. So I was able to go to an arranger I liked and said, hey, I want this song, but I want it in this style. Right. Um, you know, it, it's a, a yeah. bit of a um, leak. Uh, we're, we're starting to put together stuff for the next one. And um, Warren Bloom just finished an arrangement of Put On Your Sunday Clothes in the Style of Take Six. Wow. From Hello, from Hello Dolly. And it's really, really interesting sounding. Yeah. I'm not sure if there are any humans that can sing it. But um, <laughs> well, it's let really me, interesting. Let me just give you my favorite example. The very first one... He went to Tom Anderson and mm. said, can you please arrange Mambo from West Side Story? Yeah, Dance at the Gym. Yeah. But, and I, but I specifically <laughs> asked, I want it note for note, rhythm for rhythm, exactly like the original, completely transcriptive. Well, but the, um, oh, so that's actually not the one I was thinking of. That was hard. But the one where you said, um, sit down, you're rocking the boat. Oh, and said, yes. give me everything you've got. And so he did. And, you know. <laughs> I think they pulled, I wasn't there for that one, but I, I rehearsed them, but I, I think they pulled it off. It was good. Thank God we had Ellie Landau as our mm. conductor. Right. He really <laughs> kept everything together. Um, but yeah, so a lot of them are transcriptive for that novelty aspect, but we do try to throw some sort of twist in there. Mark, I know you, you've arranged a couple for that. I've show. arranged a couple. It's also a time frame issue. These groups have maybe one or two rehearsals. Some right. of them are rehearsing literally an hour before the show. Uh, so you can't make them too improv based or too different because they need to learn it very quickly and you don't want it to fall apart, you know, especially in a prestigious, uh, event like this. So I think there's, there is a timeframe issue, but I mean, I think I toe a line between transcriptive and, a little bit more imagination, like uh, the Dirty Rotten Scoundrel song I did. Dirty Rotten song where I threw in a bunch of other quotes and it was transcriptive, but it it had enough to keep you interested and sort of guessing where I was going next. You also did um, Purpose from Avenue Q. One of the things I loved loved about that is it was transcriptive enough to 
recognize the song, but had as much of a departure because it was optimized for acapella and right. people belting their faces off and kind of dancing around and kind of optimized towards that instead of this, you know, Broadway band. Right. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And the other one I did was um, Girl in 14G, which was really good. And Candace was our Christian Chenoweth. And uh, oh, man, she killed it. But that yeah, one is Hal Rogers. That one was very tr- That one had to be very transcriptive because that's a very difficult song with a lot of different style changes and you really can't riff off that you right. know yeah it depends how specific the song is and i feel like musical theater sometimes has more specificity than uh pop songs do mm-hmm. i think in pop songs you can get away with changing a lot and still keeping the essence or purposely changing the story and in musical theater i feel like there are certain elements that would be heretical to get rid of right of which i want to be conscious of and also want to purposely change right, right. um so i have i have really one last question but it's a really important one especially um because of the situation we find ourselves in uh in the country in the country but also like around the world um, you know, Mark, I know that you teach at Five Towns um, and uh, every school district across the country has a different plan of action as far as, far as what we're going to be doing in terms of teaching, whether it's in the building or from a distance. So when it comes to, you know, trying to teach these improvisational games or um, trying to create something um, out of nothing uh, organically, if you will, um, how do you do that remotely? online um, if you're unable to sing with each other or if you have to be, you know, 12 feet from each other? Well, (laughs) I think, honestly, I think 12 feet might be easier than Zoom because even with like Jam Kazam, like the latency is such a killer. Right. I think, and this philosophy changes daily. So I might listen to this and go, what are you talking about? (laughs) I think that um, staying at home should give you enough time to work on yourself as an improviser, learn how to improvise, learn, just develop more skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know there's a lot of online course and things out there. Uh, I signed up for one months ago with uh, Michelle Weir and I haven't, I haven't watched the videos yet because you know, who, who watches those videos? Anyway, uh, I haven't watched the videos yet, but it teaches you how to be a better vocal improviser. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that we can really do right now is work on ourselves mm-hmm. um, because just of the challenge of COVID, I think with all of the stuff that we're worrying about, maybe we should worry about the really big stuff first. Mm-hmm. And then when we feel a little more comfortable, work with the improvisation, but I think the biggest thing that you can do is just mess around with looping stuff on your own, really. Just improvise. Just start singing anything. And it's, it's a challenge. Yeah, it really is a challenge. What Loopy you... HD is a great app. It's like $8, and it's right. a live looping app you get for you know, phone or tablet. Oh, my God. My four-year-old loves that app. Like We actually yeah. have it at home. My four-year-old is like creating little loops just by shouting into our iPad. It's, it's interesting. Well, there are also apps that I discovered while I was teaching a grad course, uh, Music Education Technology, where you can actually arrange, I think it's called Flat, where you and several other people, if you all sign to the same account, you can all compose on the same piece of paper simultaneously, like in real time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's an activity that everyone can do together and everyone can you could be on Zoom while you're talking about it. And let's, I mean, it's not perfect. It's not organically arranging with improvisation, but it's still something. Right. It's still making new music. And yeah, it's really hard. Uh, I, I <laughs> As Evan shrugs into the camera, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, to piggyback off what Mark said, I think the idea of uh, using the time to, you know, develop your own skills and nuts and bolts is a great idea. I think mm-hmm. that Loopy, as we said, is something you can play with a lot. Uh, a singer, Rhiannon, I spoke of earlier, has a CD, a compact disc. I believe it's also available on iTunes. It's called Flight. And I believe it's like 30, 35 tracks. And each one of them 
you know, you hear her say, all right, we're going to trade fours. That means I sing for four measures and you sing for four measures. And then she sings and leaves a break and talks about, you know, turnarounds and different chord progressions. And, you know, every track is a different skill. And it's something that when I used to drive places would like pop it into the CD player or put it on my phone on the car and sit and like sing through seven or eight of them and just sit and play and mm -hmm. improvise. And that was like my, it was the equivalent of like going to the gym for the day. Um, there's another great teacher, a guy named Bob Stoloff, S-T-O-L-O-F. You stole my thing. Sorry. Um, who has a couple of books and CDs, which is a very similar concept where um, here is a scale, here are different modes, here are different time signatures, here are different rhythms, here are different rhythmic cells, and I'll play it for you. Now try using it and just uh, transpose it up this way. And Okay, here's now a, 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 a three-minute background track in a flat blues and six eight and now you know and so it kind of gives you all the resources you need to learn the skill and then practice it on your own mm. if i can say two things first off no all right three things uh screw you evan anyway um so two things number one just quick plug uh bob stoloff the guy he just mentioned is actually doing in uh one of our acapella master classes so you can actually go on when we launch this thing on, I believe, August 17th, you can actually learn scat singing from Bob Stoloff himself. The other thing is... I've done it. It's great. Totally worth it. You took lessons with him, didn't you? Yeah, in the yeah. city. Back when there were lessons in the city. Right, exactly. <laughs> and uh, the other thing that you can do that I actually have, uh, I have a playlist of Ella Fitzgerald, Chet Baker, you know, some of the great, scat singers and I just sing along and memorize their solos mm. so that I can sort of learn licks. One of which the, is, which is a lot of how like a freshman jazz conservatory works. Right. That's, that's how you learn and transcribing solos. That's mm -hmm. how you learn vocal jazz. Basically. Um, one of the solos I, one of the first ones I learned was um, Bob McFerrin's improv uh, when he sings drive. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just learned it note for note. And I, you know, having that vocabulary is building the skill. Mm. It really is. Yeah. Drum roll. But having that vocabulary, is, it, it helps you learn new musical information that you can then use if you get comfortable with it. So that's just another thing that you can do mm. besides. Anyway, I think. Like you, two, you two could probably write a book on everything that you've talked about today. Like I know that listeners have a wealth of new knowledge to be able to utilize this stuff, uh, whatever they're teaching. And I can't thank you two enough for joining us this week. So Evan, uh, Dr. Mark, Doc Capella, um, thank Doc you again. Doc Acapella. Doc, Doc Acapella. Doc Ock is the key because it's super nerdy. Ah. That's, that's, why, that's why I call myself Doc Ock. There you go. Yeah, same. Because you have eight arms. Before we do uh, end the show today, um, uh, Mark, I do know that you, um, along with a couple other uh, collaborators, just released a book on, we did. Uh, on contemporary acapella. You want to talk about that real quick? Sure. It's Teaching Music Through Performance in Contemporary Acapella. Evan actually was one of the contributors, so he is also uh, in the book. Nice. What we did was we took, I think it was 80-something arrangements legally published arrangements mm -hmm. in the vein of acapella, uh, contemporary acapella, vocal jazz, barbershop, doo-wop, folk. And we wrote teaching guides. You know, this is how you approach this arrangement. These are the terms that you need to know. This is the vocal technique that's important for this kind of style. And we got experts, you know, um, Drew Wheaton and I believe Kari Francis did the barbershop stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a chapter by uh, Deke and JD, who were the other two editors besides myself. Um, Aaron, Dr. Erin Hackle from University of Colorado, Denver, wrote a chapter on her spectrum singing method, which a lot of acapella people use nowadays. Ben Spaulding did a chapter on competitions, but really the meat and potatoes of it are the arrangement guides. And it, it doesn't have any actual sheet music but it does tell you exactly where to go to purchase the arrangement that we're talking about. Right. So it not only gives you a chance to find the repertoire, it tells you exactly how to approach it, what you need to do. And 
you know, it's part of this big series of GIA publications, but it's the only book that addresses contemporary acapella vocal jazz barbershop because they have a lot of, uh, they have choir and they have marching band and they have orchestra. But I noticed when I pitched this book originally, there was no vocal jazz and mm -hmm. there was no contemporary acapella. So I think that's why they said yes to it. And it just came out after two years of working on this thing. And, you know, I'm super proud of it. And it's a really invaluable resource for anybody who wants to get into any one of those fields, barbershop, jazz, doo-wop, acapella, folk, classical. And, you know, this is how you do it. And you'll find the arrangers, you know, some really classic stuff. Steve Zagree, Paris Rutherford, Gene Perling. A lot of Deke's arrangements are in there. I mean, Pentatonic's arrangements are in there. So it's, it's just, it's so useful, I think. Great. Well, again, I have to thank both of you for joining us this week. And um, I wish you both the best. Um, Evan Feist, Dr. Mark Silverberg, thank you for joining us on the Aka Education Podcast. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Aka Education Podcast and welcome to the mailbag. This week's question is, what are some online resources we can use to help better ourselves in the acapella genre? Well, Dr. Mark did mention in our interview about a website that he was working and curating, and it's called Acapella Masterclass, acapellamasterclass.com. You go there, you can check it out. There's a bunch of different classes you can take. There's an arranging workshop with the godfather himself, Deke Sharon. There is a beatboxing workshop coming up with American Idol finalist, Blake Lewis. Um, you have scat singing with Bob Stoloff. You have Barbershop with Drew Wheaton. The list goes on. Go check it out, acapellamasterclass.com, and get yourself squared away today. We'll be right back. And that does it for this week's episode of the Aka Education Podcast. I want to take a moment to thank Evan Feist and Dr. Mark Silverberg for bringing some excellent insight into improvisation this week. Be sure to check out the links in our episode description for different resources that we discussed during today's episode. Check us out on social media, Aka Ed Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. Be sure if you haven't done so already to subscribe to this podcast so you can be notified when a new episode is posted every week. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Music Podcasts, and we're also on Anchor. You can also now check us out on Acaville Radio, acaville.org. And last, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the podcast, be sure to email me at acaedpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Justin Glodish. I'll see you next week.